Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show, the podcast that's taking an honest look at the current administration and providing thoughtful analysis on the news of the day. We are translating Trump, and I'll tell you, today, this week, I'm just interrupting watching the hearings begin here for Justice Kavanaugh, or soon to be Justice Kavanaugh, or Judge Kavanaugh, maybe will be Justice Kavanaugh. Total disruption by the Democrats. More than on that in a minute. But uh, today we're going to focus on two uh, very important things. Mark Thiessen will join us. Mark's a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, a Fox News contributor, Washington Post syndicated columnist, and former chief speechwriter for President George W. Bush. We're going to talk about this very disturbing sex scandal rocking the entire Catholic Church right now. This is an earthquake. We'll also spend some time with Joel Farkas, director of the American Strategy Group. Uh, he is our, our scholar on California, lives there, does business there, uh, and observes what goes on and comments with great insight. Joel is director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow of the American Strategy Group here in Washington. One of the questions we'll deal with today is our high-tech companies joining the exodus out of California looking for better-priced pastors. What are they doing out there? Joel will share his thoughts. As I produce this podcast, I'm watching the Kavanaugh hearings and uh, I'll just put it simply, uh, the Democrats are not really fighting Brett Kavanaugh, they're fighting Donald Trump. They're fighting the election and trying to make the election nugatory, without consequence, without effect. President One put up a nominee of sterling credentials, and he should be confirmed. I expect by the time you hear this podcast, we'll be pretty close to that confirmation. But it's amazing. The Democrats are now part of the resistance. We also, I'm sorry to say, saw the resistance in evidence at the funeral for John McCain at the National Cathedral. Uh, that idea is not original to me. It was actually, I got it from the New Yorker, surprising place. But they said, uh, you know, after some nice stuff and some very solemn music and a statement that was beautiful starting out by Meghan McCain about her father, she uh, turned uh, her talk against Trump and said, you know, we don't need to make America great again, and talked about the America of her father. Barack Obama did some similar things, had some words about bitterness and tribalism and so on, all directed at Donald Trump. Donald Trump, by the way, was very gracious at the end to um, give permission and make arrangements for a number of things which required his permission, uh, and uh, issued a statement that was fine about McCain. Yes, there was contention between the two of them. And yes, Donald Trump should have never said what he said about the hero and prefers people not getting captured. But that wasn't the first shot fired across the bow. You know, the first shot fired across the bow with McCain and, and the president was um, McCain saying, referring to Trump, the candidate, when he visited Arizona, that he came to stir up his crazies, his crazies, Trump's crazies. Uh, the president, as you know, takes uh, insult uh, about his followers the same way he takes it uh, about himself. I like John McCain. I knew him, disagreed absolutely with him on things, such as uh, his immigration policy, Gang of Eight stuff that came out was very loose on border security. Uh, McCain-Feingold, of course, that which is what he's known for. That's got his name on it, legislation. was found unconstitutional. Uh, and uh, his vote against the repeal of Obamacare, famous thumbs down, was uh, terrible. Uh, regrettable, and I think vindictive. And I think there was some vindictiveness toward the end. I'm not going to say anything more critical of him, because he was a war hero and suffered, almost died for his country, but suffered grievously for his country for five and a half years. And there's a lot about him I uh, I like and remember, and some very good times with him. And I talked last uh, podcast about some of those occasions. But let's put the two things together. Claude, did you note last week 
how much talk and praise there was about of McCain because of his attempt to reach across the aisle to be bipartisan. Yes, yes, lots of it. Lots of lots praise of, of it. Mm-hmm. Lots of praise of bipartisanship, and most of it, not all of it, some of it given by Republicans, but most of it given by Democrats. Correct. Yes. Where's the bipartisanship today at the hearing, confirmation hearing? Well, that's a good question. Uh, that's all gone. That just evaporated. That was just rhetoric and wind and noise. Wasn't meant. Didn't matter. That invocation of bipartisanship is uh, gone with the wind. You're about to listen to Mark Thiessen, and I can't tell you how much I grieve here as a Catholic about what's going on in this church. And maybe grief isn't the right word, because it's not tears, it's anger. I am so angry at these people, at these priests, at these bishops covering up. I knew McCarrick, thought he was a pretty estimable guy, liked him. I knew Cardinal Whirl, didn't particularly care for him, didn't like style. But, uh, you know, people, a lot of people had a lot of regard for him. These two guys were engaged in cover-ups, McCarrick in actual uh, activity, uh, illicit and illegal and horrid activity with seminarians and others. Uh, Cardinal Whirl of Washington covering it up. And now the question of the Pope. Uh, there is no impeachment proceeding that can be brought against the Pope, but there can be public pressure and the pressure of Catholics, which needs to be applied. Uh, I very much like the, the standard that Mark Thiessen articulates in this interview. He said, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, people should not give up the church. You don't give up Jesus because of Judas. And uh, But maybe you get, limit your offerings to you know your parish or give directly to the poor, but maybe not to the bishop's campaign. The extent and scope of these offenses in Pennsylvania, as this report makes clear, is truly heartbreaking and infuriating. Let's hope this thing gets fixed. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And I expect some people are giving up Jesus uh, because of Judas and leaving the church. I hope they'll reconsider and come back. But I hope the church acts in such a way that its behavior, doing the right thing, encourages them to come back. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Let's welcome Mark Thiessen to the show. Mark is a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, a Fox News contributor, Washington Post syndicated columnist, and former chief speechwriter for President George W. Bush. Mark, welcome to the show. Bill, how are you? Good. Uh, what is going on in the church? We had this, we've had a couple of chapters of this earlier. I can't remember the dates you may. I know the Boston situation and when that was. Back in 2002, yeah. Okay, I wrote an editorial for the Wall Street Journal about uh, Bernard Cardinal Law, who's a friend of mine. But um, I wrote an editorial about how he had to go and this terrible stuff. Is this worse than what we saw in 2002? Uh, it is because what's happened is is that we're finding 16 years later, 17 years later, we're finding new facts <laughs> that are old facts that were covered up. And the fact that it sounds like in 2002, what happened was is they addressed uh, one of the issues, which is the sexual abuse of children by clergy that was being covered up. Um, and they put measures into place that, to stop that. And it sounds like those measures have been largely effective in the sense that there's probably not, there is no longer a, a crisis of child sexual abuse by priests in the country because there's lots of steps in place, including mandatory reporting to the police and, and training for parents and, and this kind of stuff. So they, they did cauterize that wound. But the problem is, is that the bishops uh, who covered up this abuse uh, were never disciplined or removed. And now we're finding out the extent of the cover-up. And then you have the second controversy, which was not addressed in 2002, which is the Me Too crisis in the church, which is that you have, uh, in the case of Cardinal McCarrick, he not only abused 
two underage children. He abused a generation of seminarians and priests who were under his authority. Uh, you know, sexually molested them. You know, pressured them into into sexual relations and used his power uh, over their futures and their careers to gain sexual favor with them. Um, and everybody knew about it. <laughs> the, the whole the, the hierarchy knew, knew about it. it. Priests knew about it. Um, and yet we just found out a couple of weeks ago uh, that this was happening. And it turns out that the nuncio in Washington, Archbishop Vigano, uh, had twice written to the Vatican about Cardinal McCarrick informing the, the three different uh, secretaries of state of the Vatican. Uh, Pope Benedict apparently quietly uh, told him to uh, cease public ministry, which he didn't follow. And then the archbishop actually personally told Pope Francis when he took uh, when he took office about it, and Pope Francis made Cardinal McCarrick a close advisor, a trusted advisor, appointed him in charge of helping him pick cardinals in the United States, which he right. did. Right. Uh, so this cover-up is, is, you know, the, the, is, has been going on in the church, it's, it, and there's just the, the episcopacy and the Vatican in particular are corrupt to their core right now. Are you Catholic? Just curious. I am a, a devout Roman Catholic. Devout um, Roman but Catholic. I can tell you, uh, and nothing would ever cause me to leave the church. One of, a priest friend of mine, to, uh, I think, said it best in his homily the other day. He said, don't leave Jesus because of Judas. <laughs> and that's, that's okay. good advice. So I would never okay. leave the church. But I am at war with these bishops. And I am going, you know, we waited too long 500 years ago when Martin Luther tacked his 95 theses on the door to respond. It took about four decades for the Counter-Reformation to start. And I'm not waiting around. <laughs> we're right. going to we're going to we clean this mess up. And we, just lost to do it. we just lost two thirds of our audience with the Sorry. Luther reference. <laughs> uh, you're not saying it's analogous, right? Well, you know, I'm saying it in some extent. I mean, look, the Archbishop Vigano essentially, uh, I mean, look, the, 500 years ago, the Catholic Church and the Catholic hierarchy yeah. were corrupt. And sure. Archbishop Vigano essentially sure. nailed his sure. 95 theses on the door of St. Peter's. Yeah, and no, I understand right. how the Reformation happened for the yeah, first time no. in my life. That's right. Because uh, there was corruption. Now, we have Let's theological take... differences with our Protestant friends, sure. but, you know, the, the corruption is the same, and we got right. it rooted out. They were right to be upset. They were, absolutely. You know the story, just sorry, Princess, I did a book called Tried by Fire. It's Mm -hmm. about the first thousand years of the church, and Mm -hmm. Thomas Nelson, my publisher, asked me to do it. And there were were an evangelical publishing house, you know, and taken over by HarperCollins, but Mm -hmm. they asked me to do it. I said, sure, first thousand years, if it goes well, do I get the second thousand years? They said, no, we can't trust you in the middle of (laughs) it. <laughs> so Catholic, you know, Claude loves that story, don't you? Claude? It's my favorite one. Yeah. So uh, let's just take stock here. One piece of very good news: you, you think it's stopped or significantly slowed down? The abuse. Well, one thing has stopped. The, the the abuse of children has 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 significantly slowed and is and you know but first of all if there's any abuse of children it's it's horrible and you know as again as a priest friend of mine put it it's like it, people go out there and say well now there's no no greater abuse in the Catholic Church than there are by teachers or sports coaches or whatever oh, yeah, and yeah. he points out you know you don't trust your sports coach with the, with your eternal salvation yeah, <laughs> it's a different so even one priest abusing people is bad but what has not stopped is the abuse of seminarians and this cult of uh, of sexual behavior by priests and bishops uh, in violation of their vows of celibacy and in violation of the Sixth Commandment, uh, which is rife within the Church and has to be rooted out and stopped. 
I want to come back. Uh, well, maybe I'll put that off. Let's talk about since you just raised this, uh, the sixth, sixth commandment, rife right, seminarians. Sure. Uh, I just read an article. I sent it to you. I don't know if you had a chance yeah, to look at it. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Does uh, this have something to do with the tolerance or greater tolerance of homosexuality in the church, the loosening up of, uh, of, of views or doctrine on that or the perceived loosening up? Yeah, here's, here's the way I look at it is that, um, the ca- Catholic teaching is that we are all, all of us, homosexual, heterosexual, called to chastity except within the, ba- within the sacrament of marriage, period, right? And it doesn't matter whether you're gay or straight, uh, we are all called to do that. Uh, if you are a bishop or a priest who is, uh, who is, uh, charged with teaching and upholding the Catholic faith, you cannot live a life in which you're violating Okay. The Sixth Commandment, period. It doesn't matter whether if you're doing it with women. It doesn't matter whether if you're doing it with men. You are called to a life of chastity, um, as we, the laity, all are, except within marriage. Now, if you, if you don't want to live that way, you don't have to be a Catholic priest, and you don't have to be a Catholic bishop. But if you are doing that, regardless of whether it's with men or with women, you do not belong with a Roman collar around your neck, period, full stop. Now, the reality is that in the case of seminarians, it's all uh, men, because seminar- because we have an all-male priesthood. So what a, what to the extent that this the, exists, it, it is homosexual because of the nature of the priesthood. But it doesn't matter ch- whether it's homosexual right. or heterosexual. Any, any violation of the vow of chastity is, is, uh, is scandalous. Understood. But when it comes to the abuse of children, uh, is most of it homosexual or heterosexual? Um, according to the John Jay report, it, the, the vast majority of it was with, with boys. And in the case of the abuse of seminarians, 100% of it, it is with men. All right. So, uh, yeah, all right. So, but, but do you think the, the article I sent you, we, we can mm-hmm. put it up, uh, Claude Hinderocker's article, suggests that it's a loosening of attitudes about homosexuality, which caused more of it in the seminaries and more of it outside the seminaries. I think that there is there is an element of that, but again, I think it okay. it, 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 it doesn't know. matter whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. It's, it's the it, priests are not supposed to have be having active sex lives with course. anybody. And to the extent that there is a culture that is permitting that uh, in any situation, and I think probably if you had you know if you took a bunch of of me, uh, young seminarians and dropped them in an, in a convent with a, with a bunch of novice nuns, you'd have a heterosexual crisis okay. of, of of this of the same sort. It's just the nature of the priesthood lends itself okay. to a particular type of abuse. Let's go back to uh, the, the bishops here, um, mm-hmm. Cardinal, Cardinal McCarrick and Cardinal Worrell. I, I guess we're being a little provincial here. You're, you're in the D.C. area. I'm in the D.C. area. What was the problem with Cardinal, or is the problem with Cardinal Worrell, who succeeded Cardinal McCarrick? Well, there are two problems with Cardinal Worrell. Cardinal Worrell, one, was Bishop of Pittsburgh uh, before he was the uh, Archbishop, Cardinal Archbishop of Washington. And the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report uh, shows evidence that, one, that he moved around priests who were, who were committing terrible abuse. Um, and two, while he did discipline some, he didn't discipline others. And two, he reached uh, settlements with victims that included non-disclosure agreements, which is essentially a legal cover-up uh, that he paid they paid off the victims in exchange for their silence. Uh, Someone like that does not belong anywhere in the Catholic hierarchy, just on that alone. Then the second problem with Cardinal Worrell 
is that uh, Archbishop Vigano says that on several occasions that he was he was the Archbishop of Washington when Pope Benedict put down the order that Cardinal McC- retired Cardinal McCarrick uh, was not to exercise any public ministry, and his job was to enforce that. And that Archbishop Vigano uh, told him, discussed it with him several times, so he knew about Cardinal McCarrick and kept quiet. Um, and not only that, but Archbishop Vigano in his letter says that at one point, you know, Cardinal McCarrick's crime was abusing seminarians, that there was an ad in the Archdiocesan newspaper, which comes out of his office, Cardinal World's office, saying, if you're interested in the priesthood, uh, come to a special meeting with Cardinal McCarrick. <laughs> and so he called him and said, what's going on here? He's not supposed to be doing these sorts of meetings. And Cardinal, Cardinal World said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't know about that. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure it gets canceled. Well, if he didn't know, why would he have canceled the event? He would have said, why should we cancel it? You know, so, so World knew. <laughs> and the fact is, he, just yesterday, he came back and gave his first public mass in the district. And he, instead of being uh, apologizing for knowing and covering this up, he said that we have to be loyal to Pope Francis. And, and, some, and someone actually, people stood up and yelled shame at him and walked out of the mass. Um, and he was, you know, red-faced about it. And good for them. I think, I hope more people do that. Um, because not walking out of the mass because you don't want to just lose, you want to deny yourself the Eucharist. But, uh, but uh, they, they, he, he should be shamed uh, because that man does not belong with a cardinal's hat on. Wow. So both McCarrick and World should be sacked. Yeah, one, one for committing the abuse and the other for covering it up. And that's just the beginning. I mean, I'm telling you, we have a, we have a systemic problem in the, in the episcopacy of these, of these priests. Because what, here's what happens. You have a lot of these priests who are having sexual relationships and bishops who are having sexual relationships that they're not supposed to have. And then what happens is, is that a priest under their authority abuses a child. And they don't want to be exposed for their sins. So what they do is instead of exposing them and turning over the police because they know that they're guilty of, of, of uh, having something, it's like, you know, when, when they say, hey, the, they say Russians have compromise on somebody, there's compromise on them because they've been violating their vows of chastity. So what they do is they just move them off quietly and, and try to have a settlement. And so you have this culture of silence and culture of corruption and culture of, uh, of uh, illicit relationships within yeah. the episcopacy. And as long as those people are in charge, nothing's going to get fixed. Yeah, uh, complicity and cover-up. Uh, there's a story going around. I've heard it from a couple of people because it's a topic I, I talk about a lot with friends, particularly Catholic friends. And boy, a lot of people are upset. Feel the way. Yeah. A lot of people are saying, in fact, I'm not giving up the church, but I'm not. I'm not putting my nickels in anymore until this is resolved. Absolutely. Um, but uh, a, a story about complicity, which makes my hair stand on it, in Pittsburgh or somewhere in Pennsylvania, uh, the, quote, victims, uh, they were victims, were given gold crosses yes. and told to wear them so, the that children, they could yes. be, so they could be identified yes. by other would-be um, offenders as, uh, what, willing victims or at least... People who had been groomed. People have been and groomed. This people was going been groomed on. Had been abused this by was their going priests. on. This was going on in in the in the Pittsburgh diocese, I believe, um, no, by a group that of priests. Means, that means a group of priests were doing it, and a whole lot of priests knew about. It. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and one of those priests who was involved in that uh, was actually um, uh, when Cardinal, it wasn't happening while Cardinal Worrell was bishop, but he was still a priest in there. And that uh, Cardinal Worrell returned; to, he had been suspended, and Cardinal Worrell actually returned him to ministry until more complaints came forward, where where he finally took him off of ministry. And the guy ran off, and first he moved to Cuba, to Florida, and then he moved to Cuba, and was apparently murdered by uh, by his lover in an apartment in Havana, and Cardinal. Oh, yeah. Said his funeral. 
Yeah. Let's go to Rome. Um, you, you mentioned the, the, this report. Uh, you say Vigano, is that how you say it? Vigano, yeah. Vigano presented it to uh, Pope Francis, uh, and we had this, explain this thing on the airplane in the report and, and where you think things stand with the Pope. Well, so what's happened is is that somebody has finally courageously broken the cone of the code of silence, which is Archbishop Vigano. Uh, he's a, he was a uh, he was a uh, Archbishop appointed by Pope Benedict. He was appointed to uh, oversee basically be the mayor of Vatican City, and he uncovered a bunch of financial corruption. And so what happened was all the people he was uncovering conspired to get rid of him, and so that he got moved to the Nuncio of the Vatican uh, because uh, his enemies. God wanted to get him out of Rome. Um, and there is where he learned all about Cardinal McCarrick and wrote back to the secretaries of state in the Vatican, uh, two of them, telling them the specific details of what Cardinal McCarrick was accused of doing and never got a response. Uh, so he wrote two letters. And then finally, he found out surreptitiously that Pope Benedict had acted on, 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 on McCarrick. And then when Pope Benedict, uh, he says in his letter, uh, resigned and Pope Francis came up and I think it was June 23rd of 2013, he had a private audience with Pope Francis, and Pope Francis asked him, what do you think of McCarrick? He wanted to know where he was, whether he was pro or anti-McCarrick, and he said to him, Holy Father, I don't know if you know, but there's a file this thick on him in the, in the, in the office of the bishops, um, and he's corrupted a generation of priests and seminarians, and he was under discipline by Pope, Francis, uh, by pope Benedict. And he says the Pope quickly changed the subject, and the next thing he knew, uh, McCarrick was running around going on trips for representing the Pope to China and to other countries, and he was helping advise him, and all the sanctions had been lifted. Um, so he's laid out some very serious accusations against Pope Francis, and he names about, say, like, you know, 20 cardinals uh, in, in, in his letter, in this 11-page testimony, which, by the way, he, said, he writes in it, if I'm, uh, that I, I, I swear to the truth of this on pain of my eternal salvation, which means he's literally condemning himself to hell if he's lying. But he also cites specific documents, and the Pope has refused to answer these very credible and serious charges. And so if the Pope I mean, it's very simple. Release the documents. <laughs> he names specific documents where they, that are in specific archives. Release those documents. The Pope needs to answer the, these charges. He can't just simply say, as he did coming back from, uh, from his trip in Ireland, that I am not going to speak of this. And you guys, reporters, you, you judge the document on its merits. That's not good enough. He has to answer. Reporters get to the documents? Um, the, uh, they, they exist unless they've been burned. <laughs> You know, but I mean, be, but if they can get to them, then they then they are available. Well, they the Vatican has them, so the Vatican has to release them. Unfortunately, I've, I've been looking into this this morning because the, the, there's no, uh, as far as I can find, there's no Freedom of Information Act in, Vatican, in the Vatican City State. There's one in Italy. There's one in the United States, but there's no for, uh, formal process by which to uh, to apply to demand the release of these documents because it's a monarchy. It's an unaccountable monarchy. So you know we have to put public pressure on the Pope, and that's why I think pe what people should do this what I'm doing in my parish is I'm, I'm saying no money goes, I'm going to continue to give to my parish, but I'm going to do it, doing it as a special gift and saying no money can go to the diocese until the Pope answers these charges. I'm cutting off my bishops. I want to give no money to my bishops. And, you know, whatever I would give, when the bishops' Lenten appeal comes around, you know, give, give the money directly to the poor rather than to the bishops. But, you know, whatever you would have given to the bishops, give it, give it, to, uh, give it to the, the St. Vincent de Paul Center directly. But we should all, there should be a boy of money to the bishops until the Vatican answers these charges. If the Vatican doesn't answer the charges, or if the documents suggest cover-up by the Pope, should the Pope resign? 
let, let's hope that that's not the case. But I know, uh, I know, yeah, I, know. I think it's a problem. Uh, I, I, I think uh, I think it's a problem to have a pope that uh, didn't take this seriously, um, and then is covering it up. I think it's let, let's see what Francis does. Um, okay, uh, no, I, I'm not jumping but, to. But it. I'll tell you, if he doesn't, if he doesn't answer. And if he thinks he can get away with this, he's wrong. The lady is going to rise up, and the cost is going to be lots of people leaving the church because they don't want to be in a church led by a no, pope I, who covers I, up sexual abuse. I, I first started to read this. I mean, I, I finally made the distinction in my mind that you referred, well, I guess your friend said, you know, I'm not going to give up Jesus because of Judas. But yeah. as close as I was coming to, you know, not going and not supporting but yeah. um, well, don't 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 not go because okay. I would urge your readers, don't, listeners, don't not go because the, the, the person who's behind all of this is the devil, and the devil wants to separate you from the sacraments, and so the best way he wins is if he separates you from the church and has you, you know, watching football on Sunday, Sunday instead of reading the gospel, listening to the gospel. So you, you don't, didn't have don't to say that. You can do both. You can do both. <laughs> no, just, just, doing both is fine, but skipping one for schedule. the other is different. Happily, there's you know there's no Saturday. morning morning saturday afternoon mass just the five o'clock saturday mass so i can watch college football there you mark go. Uh, you said you know there's no freedom of information that's a good segue for my last set of questions thank you very much for your time and thanks Always. for digging into this nobody digs in like you do thank you um you know you said no freedom of information act is there a uh, a vatican equivalent of impeachment can no, cardinals remove nothing it? There's nothing. Okay. There's nothing. Right. There's no process for removing a pope. Okay. Let's put it this way: the, 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 a pope can be pressured into being removed. It's happened in in history, um, where where the cardinals have have pressured a pope to resign. It happened uh, during the Western Schism, and you know, about 600 years ago. Um, but uh, but it's very unusual, and there's no formal process that I'm aware of for removing a pope. Um, but you know, we we can we can pressure him. You know, yeah. people should speak out at his audiences. Yeah. Everywhere he goes, they should ask him about this. Let him talk about nothing else but this. I should say, on the basis of my book, Tried by Fire, this isn't the worst we've seen in, in the Vatican. We've had popes who were, you know, fathering children out of wedlock, uh, cutting off the heads sure. of their enemies, uh, doing all sorts of things. But, uh, you know, the church survives. But let me stay on the political side for it, yeah. because uh, someone said the other day, you know, Trump has made every every conversation political. I don't know. We can't blame Donald <laughs> Trump for this one. Can we? I don't think we can. But, someone will figure out a way. But, but the political angle, because I have read stuff that accuses Vigano of doing this because he's a conservative and he doesn't like what happened in Vatican II, the loosening up of things, and Pope. Uh, Francis is a liberal, and this is conservatives versus liberals. Yeah, this is the left-wing attack uh, to discredit Vigano um, because they don't like what he's saying and because they don't like the fact that he's laid out a factual case against Francis and against these cardinals. Um, so the way they respond to it is to turn it into an ideological fight. Uh, they say that he's a conservative. They say that he was upset because Francis denied him a cardinal's hat, and this, this is revenge against his enemies. So number one, Vigano points out that under Benedict, he was offered a cardinal's hat and turned it down because they were trying to push him out of uh, Vatican City State for uncovering corruption, and he rejected a uh, uh-huh. rejected a cardinal's hat. So this, so why would he be upset about losing a cardinal's hat later when he turned one down willingly a few years earlier under Benedict? So that's number one. Uh, number two, 
this is not a conservative or liberal crisis. This actually touches both. I mean, the vast majority of the cardinals that Vigano mentions in his letter were appointed by John Paul II and Benedict. Um, as you pointed out, this crisis started with Cardinal Law, who was a conservative hero and a pro-life hero. Uh, you now have Cardinal Pell, who's also a conservative, uh, who's had to go back to Australia to defend himself against charges. I hope that they're, they're, that they're proven wrong, but if he is, if he is proven to have engaged in, in, uh, in untoward acts, I'm not going to defend him. This has nothing to do with ideology. This has to do with holding bishops and priests to, first of all, to protect children, and second of all, to live up to their, their, their vows and to Catholic teaching, uh, which is that the sixth commandment applies to all, and especially to bishops. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that there's a culture of silence and a culture of corruption in the, in the Vatican that needs to be rooted out. And, it doesn't, and there are conservatives who've been caught up in this. There are liberals who've been caught up in this. There are sure. traditionalists. One of the priests who was accused of abuse in Washington was the one who started the old Latin Mass here um, you know, many years yeah. ago, back in the 80s. So you know, this is not ideological. I don't, if, if there are conservative bishops and archbishops and cardinals who've been doing this, I want them gone. I don't care but what, there, what your ideology is, is. But there is a political tinge to the defense of, of Francis. Uh, I think the, where the politics comes in is exactly that, yeah. is that, you know, that the, that the people who, if this was Benedict who had been, uh, you know, you think the New York Times would be bending over to criticize uh, if a liberal cardinal had come out with these charges against Pope Benedict? <laughs> You've got to yeah. be kidding me. You know, the, the, okay. Francis okay. is the liberal hope, and so, and so any attack on him has to be because of ideology and theology and not because of corruption. Uh, great. Uh, I mean, not great. Horrible. Are you con- yeah. continuing to write on this? I am. I'm not going to stop. This, uh, this, uh, what they want is for us to get tired of and move on to other subjects, Good. and I'm not great. doing it. And the Post will print you on this? They will. Absolutely. Good. Well, we will be after you on this, too, okay? If you can um, anytime you want to talk word. about it, I'm here. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. That was Mark Thiessen. And Mark is a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, a Fox News contributor, a Washington Post syndicated columnist, and the former chief speechwriter for President George W. Bush. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Here is Joel Farkas. Uh, I, you know, he just does a lot of things. He's smart about all sorts of things, about energy and about the country and about politics, about business, but he's sort of become our designated California reporter here on the state of the state. Good Lord, what's going on out there? Where do we begin? Uh, oh, we, where we begin, <laughs> we continue. It just continues. Um, fires, climate, What about poverty. the fires? What about the fires? Is, is, is California in some ways at fault for these fires? Like any, like any topic, uh, California would like you to think it's one thing and one thing only, and that is climate change. Over the last decades, the Forest Service management has basically taken the stand that when there's a fire, you douse it with water and you stop it. And between fires, you just let things grow. You don't have... Uh, you don't you don't have any forestry trimming. You don't take underbrush. You don't have controlled burns. You don't have anything. The United States used to do all kinds of things with forest management to allow fires to burn a bit, which is a natural course of a forest 
to trim, to maintain. But basically, the federal government has changed. The EPA, the Interior Department, basically said none of that. So guess what happens? When you finally do have a fire, there's a lot of stuff to burn, and it's bad. So but This administration had, had advised otherwise. I understand Secretary Zinke and others in the administration had said they should reverse that practice of not thinning and doing other things. So not only did Secretary Zinke say that, uh, Governor Brown actually is introducing some legislation to the state to do just that as well. I, I guess I guess what the, the Governor Brown and, and the state of California, what they like to do is lambast uh, the Trump administration, lambast the Interior Secretary, while simultaneously presenting legislation to do what they're suggesting. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, there's another interesting thing occurring in that same legislation. The fires of in 2017, many of which, I think more than about 14 thus far, have been uh, through the courts and found that Pacific Gas and Electric and their maintenance facilities were the cause of these fires. So there's an enormous amount of litigation against Pacific Gas and Electric. And they have gone to the state and the governor to, to, to try to have legislation changed so they will not be liable. What's How the, is it argued that they were responsible for the fires? Um, the utility company. Branches and trees fell on their lines, fell on their facilities. Oh. They failed to maintain them, and those facilities caused new fires and exacerbated existing issues. And it's been through the courts, and the courts have ruled that they are responsible. Uh, the issue with California is that they'd like to, they being Pacific Gas and Electric, would like to raise the rates, uh, have a fire, some sort of a wildfire assessment, and um, the courts have ruled that that's, they're not allowed to do that. But what that also means is the middle class and the poorer people of California, who are most affected by utility rates, already some of the highest in the nation in California, are at risk of being once again affected by these poor management policies. So poor management policies result in some fires being uh, caused, and the answer to raise rates will hurt uh, middle class and the poor. Um, shouldn't yes. have to raise rates to exercise fair judgment and good judgment and prudent judgment about not causing fires. Plus, they're should not. not. Their failure to do what has uh, been done. I, I actually learned some about fires. When I was back at the National Humanities Center, we had a scholar who wrote a book called The History of Fire. He was in charge of the fire crew of the north rim of the Grand Canyon. His name was, incidentally, Steve Pine, which was a good name for an expert. <laughs> a on very fire. good name. And he very said, you gotta, you gotta burn. You gotta thin out and you gotta burn. So as to prevent the big burn. And he, Gave a paper, I remember, which turns out to be true, but it knocked everybody over, where he said there's more uh, natural forest land in America today uh, than there was uh, with the pilgrims. Because uh, we, we think of it then as nothing but forest. He said, but a fire would start then and nothing could stop it. Uh, and now we, you know, if when we do what we know works, we can uh, control fires, keep them from occurring. Uh, and yet uh, let them burn in places where things need to be thinned out. But apparently this wasn't the case in California. 
it's not. And and what he is describing is is accurate, and it's been proven, and it's been historically documented throughout time. That's the natural progression of a forest. Mm-hmm. It's a natural progression. Mm-hmm. And uh, once again, California has chosen in over the last decades a policy exceeding all logic. And when there are issues and problems from that policy, they blame it on someone else. Or they blame it on something else. Who do they blame this on? You sent us an article about Silicon Valley. Uh, I mean, Silicon Valley, my gosh. It's, you know, it's paradise. It's, you know, it's what God intended the creation but forgot. This article you sent me says why startups are leaving Silicon Valley. Can that be true? It is true. Uh, you know, we've, we've spoken about how middle class and poor people are abandoning the state. Well, now we see even what we would now call wealthier, richer, more uh, educated intellectuals uh, having to leave the state. And it's because the large, very large tech companies, the, the Googles, the Alphabets and, and the like, pay their, their employees for uh, so much money. And the cost of housing is so high that if you're a startup company trying to try to establish yourself into the market, you can't hire anybody. The people you can hire, you can't afford to pay them these astronomical salaries that these other big companies are paying. And as we've talked before, if the, if the business plan of technology is you can is anyone can do anything anywhere that's the basic mm-hmm, plan mm-hmm, that's the basic mm-hmm. result um the new startup tech companies are, are saying if that's the case that is the case we're going somewhere else we're going to different states we're going to different pockets where when we hire very smart people we can pay them a very respectable salary and they can buy a home or pay a reasonable rent and have a cost of living that's more in line with with reality with with uh, with logic and and it's not not in Silicon Valley, because you know, we've talked before, many times before, just to be a middle-class person in Silicon Valley, you need to earn more than $500,000 a year. It's more in San Francisco. Uh, it, it's, it, you know, it's just outrageously priced in, in those two places. So now the, uh, the tech industry is, is finding out that the laws of supply and demand, the law of you know, not just what you make, but what it costs to live, uh, applies to them too, which thus results yeah. in new businesses moving. Uh, that's the answer. Move somewhere else. I was surprised. In the United States, we have, we have, in the United States, we have plenty of wonderful places. We're getting great geography lessons, by the way, with these interviews with you. Uh, <laughs> this article is um, says, other cities are rising in relative importance to Silicon Valley as a result. The Kauffman Foundation, a nonprofit group that tracks entrepreneurship, now ranks the Miami Fort Lauderdale area first for startup activity in America. I would have never thought of that, Miami Fort Lauderdale. But one thing does come to mind uh, as you contrast Florida with California no state income tax. And you have none. And you have one out there, don't you? Uh, I, I read about it. I hear it's very high somewhere. <laughs> yeah. That that yeah. New York, those are two very similar places. Well, it's like 12 or 13% is the top rate in California. Well, something like that, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And then you, you add that to the highest energy costs in the in the country, some of the highest energy costs in the country, some of the, uh, the highest housing prices in the country, and it just goes on and on and on right. and on. Right. And you start the question, where do we start? We just continue. My uh, friend's, uh, my best friend's son went to UCLA Business School. You went to UCLA, didn't you? I did, 
Yes, I did. Played golf, right? I, I did that, too, briefly, but yes. You almost made the tour is what I heard. I, I, I made the, uh, I, I learned that I needed to go study harder is what okay. I learned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this young man went to Boston College. He went to UCLA Business School, went to work for a, a computer outfit, tech outfit in California. And lo and behold, he moved to Austin, Texas. Not that unusual, correct? The company? No, no, it's not. It's where Dell is. It's where other places are putting facilities. I, uh, when I graduated uh, UCLA, I moved to Denver, Colorado. Uh-huh. Uh, I uh, found that it was a place where there's an opportunity for a young fellow to start out. Met a lot of other young people, and uh, we all, all did, the, did the same thing to pursue something, it was, uh, uh, which was not attainable where we grew up. Interesting. Interesting. You grew up in California? I did. Born and, and uh, went to all the way through high school, and then uh, college, and and then left. Yeah. But you're a great student of the state, and you go back and forth, right? Yes, yes. It's uh, it's hard not to be uh, uh, attracted by what's going on there because the publicity machine of how wonderful the state is is, is hard, to, hard to ignore. So I, I like to listen to and watch what the state government thinks they do so well. They're still losing people. California to other states. Yes. Yeah. But but the net population doesn't go down because of illegals. That's true also. But the poverty rate goes up and the homelessness rate yeah. goes up. Yeah. Those two things increase. And the middle class the goes highest down. Highest in the United States. And the middle class goes down. Middle class is abandoning the state by choice and by necessity. You know, um the other thing that's increasing regularly in California is the state's efforts to reduce CO2 emissions and deal with worldwide climate change. That's mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. That, along with immigration, are the two major focuses of any elected official in the state. That's their, that's their, their primacy of, of effort. Let's go national. Uh, Donald Trump, one of the articles that we exchanged was uh, another article by our friend Joel Kotkin. This one said, Trump may go. I guess he thinks he may be impeached and removed. I, I think he may be impeached. I don't think he'll be removed. Uh, or he'll serve one term. I think he's got a very good shot at a second term. But the thesis of, of the article is that uh, whatever you think of Donald Trump, whether you like him or don't like him, Trumpism is here to stay. That is, some aspects of this administration's perspective and policies uh, have made a sea change in American life. Agree? Yes. How it's, so? Um, well, the middle class of America, while it's under attack in California, it's thriving in many other states of the nation. And the middle class uh, is not necessarily a defender of President Trump's character or his methods or, or things like that. But they are a defender of the results of his policies. And, and for all the reasons... they beneficiaries too, right? The, the absolute beneficiaries. When, you know, when California, as an example, says we are going to re- continue to reduce our CO2 emissions, that, that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely phrase. How do they do it? Well, they don't encourage new home ownership. They don't encourage manufacturing. They don't encourage energy production. Um, they export it all. They basically, you know, you have a company like Apple, where are their call centers? Not in California. 
where do they they obtain the uh, the components from China? Where does California get their energy? They import it. Ninety five percent of all natural gas, which powers the electric plants in California, come from somewhere else. Where do they get the batteries for Teslas? It's cobalt and lithium. It's mined somewhere else. Every and all of these functions is a, in a manufacturing job that is not going to occur in the state of California, but it's going to occur somewhere else. Well, manufacturing jobs are still necessary. They're still important. They're still demanded. And so all the people that, uh, that President Trump had referred to and discussed and, and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear you, I'm going to pay attention to you, uh, that, that's what's going on. That's the uh-huh. reason why his, his legacy will continue. So this, this this highfalutin stuff that goes on in California and Silicon Valley, back to where we started, the components of a lot of it come from other places. An electric car is made predominantly, substantially out of plastic. Plastic are, is made from oil, from from the from the uh, <laughs> from the process of taking a barrel of oil and creating it into distillates and other kinds of uh, components. California, the California has two easy ways to reduce CO two emissions. What I just said, which is have everything that they need done somewhere else, and number two. On the coast, we, we all agree they have a very nice climate, so they don't use much heating. They don't use much air conditioning. It's, uh, so right off the bat, those are the two reasons why California can easily you know, count themselves as this you know, great not using you know, or emitting much uh, greenhouse gas. So like every other topic, it's complicated. But again, President Trump has said to middle-class Americans, what you do in manufacturing is important, and what you do is going to occur. And while it might not occur in the state of California, it occur somewhere else. And instead of occurring in China or India or other locales, President Trump simply said, it can occur in America, too, and that's, that's what's occurring. That's why people are moving to other states. These functions, these important, necessary components need to be made, and they should be made here, and they should be made by Americans who are not working currently. Let's conclude with the future. What will happen to California? Is the Republican Party still dead or barely alive? Uh, are there serious? I mean, it, it's a state governed by liberal ideology and, and the particular ingredients you've cited. Uh, do you see anything on the horizon that suggests there may be a challenge to that that could be governed with different policies, different orientation? I, I, I say Republican, but. I suppose it could be something else, but it does seem to be a kind of one-state operation, a one-party operation. I don't, um, oh, and I okay. don't for a, f- uh, a few reasons, one of which it's so easy as an American citizen to leave the state for, for many other places. The alternative is so easy to, to obtain. I see. Um, and number two... So why be part of the resistance, if you will, when you can just go somewhere else and have a better life yes. anyway? Yeah, yeah. Yes, most middle-class Americans aren't interested in resisting. They're interested in succeeding and prospering. Yeah. Mm, prospering, succeeding. And- you know, we have a, 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 a unfortunately, I, I see, we have a state which has, as we mentioned, the highest poverty rate, the highest homelessness rate. It also has the lowest homeownership rate, mm-hmm. some of the lowest homeownership rates in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. And it's even worse for Latinos 
and and black households, African American households, there the, the national rate of home ownership is about sixty two, sixty four percent. It is forty two percent for Latino households and thirty three percent for black households. Wow, wow! In California, uh, in California, um, other states that have, if you want to compare them to other states that have yeah. uh, large minority populations, Texas, Tennessee, Florida, Arizona, um, substantially worse than those states. So the future of California, I see... More more black and Hispanic home ownership, middle-class home ownership in those states than in California. A lot more. Um, Much higher. Much higher. More along the national average. Okay. Interesting. Wow. And um, uh, so California is... And and we also, when we see the the government, yes, it's governed uh, by a one-party system effectively. Um... But the, the, probably the next major uh, state politician, the, the Attorney General, Xavier Becerra, we know what his focus is, climate change, immigration rights. That's his focus. Yeah. And, if you, and, and when you go through the list of what he wants to do, from health care, driver's license, uh, uh, and, and continual CO2 emission reductions, if that's your focus, that's where you're headed. There's nobody that's running for, for for state office in the state of California that is focused on any of these other topics that uh, President Trump is promoting. So you, that's why you said no. You don't see change. Yeah, you know, it just breaks my heart. I mean, I, I feel I owe a lot to California because produced Ronald Reagan, who was, you know, the guy who brought me into government and really helped m- make my career. And I've always come back to California to speak and urge, you know, think do some things differently, but maybe not much hope of things changing. If you're a very wealthy person in the United States or all over the world, um, you probably want to move to California and live on the coast, and that will continue. If you're an existing resident of California whose house has gone up precipitously and you now have created some some wealth, you're going to benefit from that also. So those, those, those things aren't going to change. And People like the, the results of those benefits. Yeah. But if you're a middle-class family, if you're a poor family, uh, it's bleak. Got it. All right. I hate to end with bleak, but I think we need to end with bleak. Have a good week. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Always great to talk to you. That was Joel Farkas, director of the American Strategy Group. I am a fellow of the American Strategy Group here in Washington. Okay, folks, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 